fascinated by talking to creative people. Those who think differently, they understand uniquely, and they see the world in their own ways. Don't get me wrong, I love what creatives produce, but often the story behind the story is what really inspires me. I want to know where ideas come from. That's where the magic happens. That's the creative backstory. Welcome to the Creative Backstory. I'm Kelly Planer. We are going to spend a lot of time talking about all the great things that happen in art behind the scenes, the making of art, the inception of creative processes, and, and the thought that goes goes into it. Um, I'm recording here at JuxtaHub in Emmaus, Pennsylvania, which is our very own arts and innovation center where people come together to gather, create, and grow. My guest today is Alan Clements. Alan is one of my favorite people to call when I'm in the car. And I love it. And before I get into the, his background, I just want to issue Alan a public apology because whenever we talk, I feel like our ideas flow so quickly, I interrupt you all the time. And I swear to you, I'm going to try super hard not to do that today. Anyway. Well, let me tell you a secret is that I tend to interrupt people all the time. So a session with you is like, I feel like payback and exercise for me to just listen and to let people say what's coming to them. Gosh, I'm going to finish my intro now. (laughs) (laughs) So Alan is a producer and director at Make Films in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He and I recently got to work together on a docu-series called Dismantling Democracy, which can be found on Amazon Prime and PBS, if that's not a self-indulgent little plug there. But Alan is also a visual effects artist, and he's got a cool side hustle, is the brains behind the Forest Ranch Regenerative, which is a journey, as he says, from the societal mindset of agriculture, value, and productivity to a reframed picture of sustainability, regeneration, growth, a quest for harmony. Uh, Recently, he has a video that he made as part of his side hustle that went viral, and that's freaking cool. So I guess we should start our talk about creativity, about our passion projects. So let's hear a little bit about the Forest Ranch Regenerative. Yeah, sure. So many, several years ago, um, I sort of, uh, well, I attended this uh, 12-day intensive with a guy named Dave Jackie. and uh, just a cross plug podcast, I actually released a conversation with him as a podcast recently. Um, the Forest Ranch podcast is called Earth Alchemy, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and anyway, Dave Jackie is, uh, he got in onto the permaculture train very early. Um, and that is a design system developed by um, an Australian fellow named Bill Mollison back in the 70s. Um, and, you know, it's basically the idea of going with nature rather than against it. So he was an early uh, student, if not acolyte of that, um, but also was like um, in computer science and um, systems modeling and sort of blended those two and basically came up with the idea that the forest uh, is the most efficient ecosystem. Um, and from that, 
he decided that everyone should be able to grow forests, no matter where they are, no matter on what scale. So anyway, I took this class with him and I was already into gardening and all of this stuff. Like, you know, I liked nature, um, but it hit me like a brick wall. So many things opened up. Uh, he made time for, you know, group therapy, basically, or sharing um, because, you know, it was just so much and so intense. And there were so many people on so many different levels coming from so many different perspectives and worldviews that we had to unpack all this stuff. And that had to be part of the class um, that it really hit me hard. I mean, I want to say, you know, midlife crisis level hard, um, where I basically all of a sudden understood all of the pain that I had inflicted on my environments, macro and micro, um, and that we do, you know, but I personally, I very much personalized it. So I wanted to farm and I wanted to grow. Um, but now I had a little more information on how to do it, um, in a way that was really regenerative. Um, and during that, that, um, I was very uh, fascinated with the ideas of animals on the farm and how that was really part of a complete picture. Now he was teaching how to like create a forest garden in the front yard of your suburban home even. But when I said, well, what about animals? And I said, what if animals were like a really intense part of that? And it was a little larger. He said, well, maybe that's forest ranching. <laughs> and I said, Ooh, I like that forest ranching. That's good. That's fantastic. So, I'm so glad I asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And so it kind of moves in like, so it was, it was both the um, premise for, you know, the uh, subsequent uh, blogging and video documenting um, and other thing, you know, Instagram page and all of this stuff that I have. Um, but it was also the namesake of it, you know, was gotten during this course. Um, and I learned so much and I got so many tools to work with. So I made a YouTube channel. And the thing about that is, is that it was a way for me to combine my filmmaking skills um, and experience with the thing that I'm absolutely most passionate about, which is basically humans like not separating themselves from nature um, and therefore having a reverence for nature and incorporating that into their lives and being whole because of it. So it's awesome to be able to, it's awesome to be able to work on the other projects, the political projects, like I worked with uh, you on um, other projects that make films does. Um, it's especially special. I think when I get to combine the two as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. So one of the things I liked the most about the Cajun crawfish farmer, I just like listening to him because he's got a way, he's got a cadence to his speech. He's got a way of phrasing things that, that, that is just interesting. And I will put a link you know, on the Facebook page and the Instagrams um, when, when we publish this so you all can find it. Well, so let me tell you, so everyone pause the podcast and go watch that video and then come oh, back. Better, no. even better. Yeah. And then come back. And now here we are talking about how, like what happened with this. It's a really interesting story. Um, and did I tell you earlier, Kelly, about the, about what happened with this video? We just in talked case, about it just blowing up. In any case, I'll retell it for your listeners. So the Cajun, uh, 
there was a Cajun documentary that I wanted to make. And full disclosure, I am a Cajun. I actually identify as Cajun, which many people, you know, even still don't realize is not just the style of cooking, but rather an entire people um, that settled along the Eastern seaboard after being expelled from their home in Nova Scotia. Uh, many of them, not all, settled in South Louisiana, where my ancestors, some of my ancestors were from, like many of us have lots of different roots. Um, but I grew up there as well in South Louisiana. And so really immersed in this Cajun culture. So many years ago, and I want to say maybe about 12 years ago, I wanted to make a documentary about Cajun culture, um, which um, I tried to crowdfund and that didn't really work out. So I actually set out to make a trailer hiring a company I used to work for in, in Lafayette um, to, to film it for me. And they did a fantastic job. I did make the trailer. I did run the fundraiser, um, but didn't reach our goal. And I was happy that, you know, it takes a lot to make a movie. Um, it takes a lot, especially if you really want to do it justice. Um, and I kind of set the bar a little bit low in terms of fundraising because you want to kind of get just over that cap and then things really start to pick up and people get excited and there's stretch goals and all of this stuff. And so, um, but we didn't get there. And so I'm glad we didn't like get just over it because that would have been very hard to make. Um, but I'm disappointed that it didn't get, you know, funded or I wasn't able to raise the money by, by that means. Um, so I had all of this footage that we had taken. Uh, when we went on this trip 12 years ago and just about a year and a half ago, maybe I pulled out a hard drive that was covered with dust, cleaned it up a little bit, plugged it in, crossed my fingers, said a little prayer. And sure enough, it mounted up and there was all the Cajun footage. And awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. And I am going to interrupt because I, Do it. I also think that after time, you look at things differently. So your first round through, I do this when I edit photos all the time. I like what I like. Then 12 years later, I dig in and I'm like, why didn't I like that before? That's awesome. So was it better than you remembered? Yeah. I mean, particularly uh, these two guys, Horace Trahan and Randy Gallet, um, or Gallet, <laughs> if you live there. Um, but uh you know, and there was just something about him and, and, you know, something that, um, a good friend of mine, um, David Dietz, uh, who I met through friends and through the school, our children went to and through the Horn Farm Center in York, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, he often talks about the peasant and, uh, agrarians and sort of, you know, sort of how that has like the idea of agrarians has really, you know, shifted. I mean, there used to be like a really inherent wisdom and value uh, in the peasant and then peoples that were agricultural, including the Cajuns. Um, but, you know, now it's like everything's modern and technology. And if you don't work with computers or medicine, you know, forget it. Um, but there is still, you know, there's first off, there's a such thing as an intellectual agrarian. And by all means, I think that these two gentlemen are. Um, that there's an in, uh, just an immense amount of wisdom in these guys, um, so much to bring to the table. Um, and, you know, they, um, yeah, that just hit me again, kind of like, you know, what you're talking about and, and, and perhaps in a new way as well. And I love their social commentary. 
um, about how things have changed and whether or not you agree with it, uh, that it's a bad thing or a good thing. I think everyone can agree that things have changed in terms of social dynamics. And I like the way that folds into the agriculture. Yeah. And, you know, so tell me the story about you put the video up and it didn't go viral right away, but then it just exploded. Do you know why? I still don't know why. Um, I put the video up a year and a half ago and nothing happened. I mean, a little bit happened. I, I kind of, I have, I don't really have a formula per se about how I release videos, but what I typically do is I throw it up on Facebook. At first I put it on YouTube and what I'm trying to do is build that channel. I put it on Facebook. I find a couple of appropriate Reddit channels, um, you know, Cajun, crawfish, whatever. Um, I'll do, um, you know, some message boards if I can find them, some local flavor. I mean, really the key is getting people, other people to share it, you know, not just watch it, but share it, I think. Um, But in this particular case, and I've, I guess I've heard this story before, so I'm really going to be humble and not really take credit for this, but, you know, at some point um, YouTube might revise an algorithm and something changes just a little bit. And as far as I can tell from the analytics, um, it uh, just started coming up in people's searches more often and was referred or, um, you know, suggested as a similar video to things people were watching more often. And the interesting thing about that to me is that it has a, it has a, a, a great response, a lot of shares since then. So it wasn't that, you know, so, so to anyone out there who's putting a YouTube out there, a YouTube video out there, it's not that your video, you know, and it's not getting hits, you know, it's not that it's not that people wouldn't appreciate it. Um, there's just so much out there so much. and does it get into the, does it get into the highway, so to speak? Right. And there's no, you know, there's no course on getting your your video to the viral highway. I, I really don't think so. And, you know, we laugh in video production because there was a time, I think people have finally gotten over this when they would call you and ask you if you made viral videos. Oh, I know. They still do. Right? They still, they think still do. Okay. <laughs> Which, you know, you, you, you know, call, you know, be kind and like, you know, Hey, let me just explain a couple of things to you you know, we can be creative and we can come up with interesting ideas and sticky ideas and fun characters that people love to watch and want to talk about. But if it doesn't like hit that sort of mystery opening, that one event, whatever that is, um, you know, we can't, no one can guarantee you a viral video. And this is so weird. This is sort of where where creativity and when I like, I think creativity is, is work and it's hard work and it's good work. You know, this is where creativity meets that fluffy fantasy world. <laughs> that everybody's like, everybody gets a trophy, you know, <laughs> but there's no, there's no way to do it. But anyway, you do your best, you do you your know? best, you do your best work and you know, and it'll find its audience, we hope, you know. And I think that also speaks to volume as well in terms of content, right? Um, you know, I've, I've heard clients try to sort of, um, 
you know, sort of put a governor on their content releases and say, oh, well, you know, maybe we'll just do this one for now and we have an asset and we can release it at such and such a point and that should last us for a while. But I mean, honestly, I think I think the name of the game these days is uh, volume and variety. Um, and, and then when something does hit with when it meets that perfect storm where, you know, it finds a channel and it starts getting uh, legs of its own, uh, then that can lead to your other library of content, you know? So you certainly should leave everything up, uh, even if you end up unlisting it or something like that, all of your content should be left up. It should be linkable uh, when people wanna find more information. And, and basically it's kind of a shotgun approach at the same time, whereas you can use different keywords on different videos, try to meet different customers where they are or different viewers where they are. Uh, in the world of entertainment um, and education um, and just create more and more content and get it out there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fun, but this brings us back to, you know, what we do for money with our video. (laughs) So somebody once said to me, and I thought this was very interesting that in life you can do two and a half things. Well, have we ever talked about this? No, I can't remember. He said in life, we can do two and a half things. Well, do you think that's true? Hmm. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. I think also you can do a hundred and three point five things moderately or terribly. You know, I think that as humans, we really, um, you know, like to do lots of different things. And I think that has changed a lot and is affecting us culturally and socially. Everyone is specializing, you know? Right. Um, but, but where does true understanding of something come from, but really getting out there um, and being uh, a jack of other trades? I agree with that. I think master that, of some. Yes. Two and a half like- to be precise. <laughs> You know, in our world, I feel like as a writer, it's good to have that background in in dairy farming and, and industrial hygiene. And, you know, I mean. Well, you're sort of forced into it, aren't you? Oh, yeah. With every project. Right. So every time you come in, it's funny because when people are looking for, you know, in my in my job as a freelance writer, they're looking for pharma. What was it? it was nutrition experience the other day. And I'm like, look. I have a pile of health and wellness and this, you can sort through it if you want, but I got this, you know. (laughs) Another good example is uh, there was, um, you know, make films, the company that I work for operates out of Lancaster County. So you can imagine a lot of agricultural account have filmed animals of all sorts um, all kinds of uh, farm equipment and landscapes. And yet we had a customer that um, was really concerned that we didn't have any chickens in our reel. And we were supposed <laughs> to shoot chickens. <laughs> Do you have any chicken work? I want to see some very chicken specific work. And, uh, and this, I'm dead serious. <laughs> you know, I'm dead oh, serious. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Jeez. And it's like, you're going to be our first chicken work. <laughs> But we also have the expertise of shooting animals, of shooting in an agricultural setting. Like, how specific do I need to get? So, did you get the job? We didn't get that job. But since then, <laughs> we've shot so many chickens. 
I mean, since the, I, and with a camera, not with a, a, I a rifle. Yes. But uh, no, since then we have captured the souls and essences of so many chickens. It's innumerable. Oh. Filled out the reel, if you will. Filled out the chicken reel. See, check. Chicken <laughs> reel. I also raised chickens and we just got, you know, we moved uh, to another uh, town and, you know, it turns out here uh, just very clearly allows chickens. So I have chickens, got some honeybees going and I film those too, you know, so I have a nice little personal reel going. Perfect. Bees. Check. <laughs> Put a little camera on their back, bees. So I do think, I do think in video production specifically, like I think the creative process, people constantly tell me, oh, your job is so creative. And I'm like, I don't know that we're thinking the same thing. You're right. It is creative. But the creativity is getting through the have you shot chickens before? You know, have you done chicken video? Have you, you know, the creativity is all about learning about client learning the heart and you and I had a project that was like that halfway through it was an industrial company that was doing a a recruiting video halfway through my meeting with them I'm like you really don't want to talk about your company you want to talk about your people and you know thank goodness you and I talked on the phone afterward and we came up with the solution that I thought worked but man that was I was sweating a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you've been through, you know, we've been through so, I can't even tell you how many meetings we have been through by that time, you know, um, thought we had it figured out, you know, but, and that's the thing well, that, and that it's a process. And nicely and enough, our solution was kind of a dialogue that allowed us to talk about the culture while still kind of showing the tour, which is kind of what we, we wanted to do thankfully that worked out it doesn't always work out <laughs> but um i like i like the process at make films i think you guys have something on collaboration you know your approach to doing things is a little different from a lot of the places that are that are out there do you want to talk about that and and how that helps the creative process yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I would kind of, I think key, and this is one of the things I love most about working at Make Films is just that I've worked, I work, I've worked at some places with some egos. I've worked for some customers and with some colleagues and with some freelancers with some egos, and, and it just really doesn't, it just doesn't happen there. It's not even something we have to talk about. Um, I suppose if you if you put your finger on it, it was that you know, Derek, who started the company, you know, has collected a group of people that just fit into that category. Uh, a group of people that say, you know, an idea doesn't necessarily like belong to us. Um, an idea can come from a group spirit. Um, an idea might get changed a whole bunch of times down the way and it only gets better. It might have a whole lot of input and it only gets better. Um, and uh, I think it's like a quote from Creativity Inc. or something, you know, that like the best idea wins at Pixar or whatever, right? Um, and it's not necessary, you know, and that's the thing is just, I think separating that from a belonging um, to a person, from a copyright 
And when you asked me to uh, make a list of three things in my creative toolbox uh, as preparation, the first thing I wrote down is humility and openness. And I think that, I think it is a very appropriately number one um, is that we have to be humble. And one of the ways that I stay humble is that I tell myself that the idea doesn't belong to me and it didn't actually come from me. I didn't create it. I caught it. Okay. That's good. Since we're talking about our toolkit, you want to just go to two and three? Sure. All sure. right. The second element, I'm sorry if I jumped the gun on that. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> I, I had no plan. No plan, <laughs> Alan. With you, I never have a, you know. <laughs> and, and we do fine. We do fine. We do great. <laughs> so, yeah, number two is perspective. And I think the most cliche, you know, wonderful example of that is Dead Poet Society and getting up on the desk, you know. Um, if not for our, you know, industry, I mean, you know, what, what can we do other than put ourselves in the client's shoes and the customer's shoes, ideally, um, oh, yeah, and really and you try, have to. try to understand them and try to get that perspective. I think, but you can also apply that to the creative process and, and force that perspective upon yourself. You know, are you going to be able to understand the end customer's worldview sitting at your desk or in your home? Are you the target demographic? You know, I think a lot of time, you know, and, and, and how does that relate to the setting? You know, I think so often everybody wants to shoot in a half a million dollar home with clean countertops. And many times I've tried to, to stress that, you know, this is the customer of this particular product doesn't own this home. How can they see themselves in it? You know? So I think really getting into that perspective, uh, putting yourself in a place where you can get some creative perspective, um, you know, and that might not be your desk. That might be outside. That might be in a natural space. It might be in the middle of a busy shopping mall. Um, I think those kinds of things are important with developing ideas. I'm not even going to say coming up with ideas. Um, and it seems ex it seems almost uh, wasteful, right? Like, why can't you just get chained to your desk and just crank out ideas? Um, but I think anybody who writes or, you know, um, you know, is a creative director or anything like that will tell you that you can't command a certain time or place in order to get the best idea. It has to come through perspective. Yeah, I was, I, I remember I was working on a, a series years ago, and it was a series of three videos about bike laws, bike safety. And they kind of asked me to write a video and they kind of gave me their, their scenario. And I racked my brain for about a week and a half till, till the producer called me and said, Kelly, where's my script? And I said, this isn't working. And he goes, well, good. Cause I have a better idea. <laughs> and as soon as he said it, I'm like, I got it. You'll have this in two hours. <laughs> you know? So sometimes yeah, we so often want to wanna just like, you know, we, we have this like morsel or this like uh, seed and we toss it to Kelly planer and then we're like, all right, make it grow. <laughs> make it grow. <laughs> make, 
Maybe it was the wrong seed. Or Which maybe... I love doing, but it just didn't, like it was so contrived. It only worked, you know, it just, I couldn't make it work. And every time I tried to write it, and the thing is that I learned about creativity and the creative process is when I have trouble like that, I have to talk about it. Like, because I should have called him a week earlier and said, I'm struggling with this. Like, it's not like he didn't think I had no talent. I'd already written for him, you know, this was the third in the series. So he knew I could do this. I just couldn't do that. And I can't remember, I can't remember what I couldn't write. I think that stuff just goes out of your brain. But what we came up with, we ended up finding... Weirdly, we found a retired cop who happened to be a voiceover artist, and I could write for him. You know what I mean? And I could write from his perspective saying, saying, if I were that guy, if I were a cop on that beat, I would have given this ticket out because blah, 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 and safety-wise, and, you know, and we made it sound friendlier than that. But it was so easy then. Like creative, creativity when it's working it's not that it's not work, but it flows. And that's what is fun about it. It definitely flows. And like I said, I think it flows from outside in. Right. Rather than the other way around. And that's like kind of what, you know, and, and so, you know, you had this intervention. The universe brought you what you needed, which it was really a did. shift. I trust that too. It always yeah. happens. Yeah. It's there when you need it. So I feel like I'm giving you my creative toolkit too, which I hadn't thought about at all. I I was going to ask you what yours is. Ask for help. (laughs) (laughs) The universe will give you what you need. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think that comes from the openness, right? When you're closed off and you're sitting in your room and you're just like, I'm going to do this or I have to do this. Um, But when we're open and we're like, what do you got for me? It just comes. It really does. And it's a meditative thing and it's a practice thing. Um, but I think if you, again, if you start with the humility and saying, these ideas don't belong to me, I'm going to be their, their guide, their steward, their, their shepherd. I'm going to help organize them. A little. I'm going to pull them out of the chaos and I'm going to help organize them and put them down and guide them. Gosh, we sound so Zen. I'm just telling you, because in the middle of it, it's not Zen. Kelly, I just just got back from a week filming with one of my mentors who has studied the esoteric nature of water. So cool. For like 60 years or something like that. And uh, so that's where I'm at right now. (laughs) Just so you know. Going with the flow. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Um, Just so you know, we stopped at perspective. I need one more creative toolkit from you. Very good. Um, this one, I, you know, I can't take credit for, but I am um, unfortunately unable to pull the source where it came from. But at an organization that I used to, uh, an agency that I used to work for, uh, we had a day that was supposed to be, or a, a, an event that was supposed to inspire us creatively. A gentleman from an ad agency out of New York or something came by and he was awesome. And somehow that little bit has left my brain. But what, but I remember what he said very much. And that was that, um, that in order to get to the right idea, a good idea, you first have to get really crazy. 
And so, and he said, the sooner you get that out of the way, the faster you are, or the faster you will get to the right idea. Um, and I totally believe that. And so whenever I do a, um, a brainstorm with my work group, whenever I'm, you know, have the, the pleasure of, of leading one, um, I will, I will say, guys, look, first off, anything goes at least for the first half. In fact, I'm not even going to give you a ton of constraints, right? I'm not one of those people that's going to load you down with all kinds of details you need, you don't need to know because that's the writer's job. Honestly, what we need is an idea. What we need is a seed. Right. So, you know, get crazy, like get absolutely crazy. Talk about vampires or mummies or, you know, a volcano erupting in the middle of the city or whatever it is. Like, let's do that and get those on paper, write those down. And what ends up happening is that all you have to do is dial it back a little bit from one of them, you know, and you might even want to include a crazy pitch as part of your process. Mummies for mothers. (laughs) Mummies day. Mummy's day. It's coming up. It's right around the corner. Um, I'm not sure what your turnaround time is in the podcast, but it's coming up one way or the other. Maybe it's a year from now. Anyway. That's right. Um, but you know, you know, getting to crazy, you might, like I said, you might want to include like a crazy pitch as part of your strategy in terms of sales, um, with the client, right? Hey, I'm going to give you something. There's no way you can say yes to. (laughs) So this next idea sounds spot on or not as crazy because we want our clients to be risky. Right. Because that's the good work, you know, um, that's the work that people remember, but you also want to kind of like tell them like, look, we're not that risky. This is a crazy idea. So you can save those and use those. Yeah. Yeah. See, I always say, I like the way you say it better. Get crazy out of the way. I always say bad ideas lead to good ideas. And I remember I was working for one company and I sat in a a brainstorm session and it was clearly up to me to throw out all the ideas and I'm throwing them out end to end one after another, like the pro that I am. And, uh, I just kept hearing, no, client will hate that. No, I hate that. No, that'll never work. No, this went on for like 20 minutes. I spewed ideas for 20 minutes and finally I said, Oh, what, what do you have? Then they got mad at me. <laughs> yeah, not, I mean, you not know, my and best as, day. <laughs> and as part of those things, you know, we've all been there. Like we can be supportive um, of of those ideas, crazy or not. You know, um, in the end, get a list. You want vol, just like the content. You want volume. Um, get a list. Some of the ideas are crazy. You're going to be able to run your finger down the list and say, you know, this might just work. And, um, and in that, you know, I think it's like another, another term I like to use is getting to the third level, right? Like, so the first level is owner of the company talking on camera about their company, right? You know, the second level is customer using their product, right? The third level is like just some wow kind of otherworldly thing like i just saw the extra gum uh epic commercial i want to say it's like at least a minute long or more 
about how now that we're getting back to normal and they may be jumping the gun just a little bit, everyone needs gum because our breath <laughs> smells terrible. Right. And we have to, we really, we want to start engaging with people. I mean, we used to have a mask to protect our face. We used to be staying indoors and talking on the phone or, you know, you don't smell my breath from, uh, from zoom here today, you know, but that's great. I mean, it could have been a gum commercial, like, our gum company has been around since 1954 and we believe in chewable deliciousness or whatever, like that's level one, if that, right. So it's like, what else you got, but doing it respectfully, look, you know, let people throw those, those ideas out too. in the end, assess them. This is level one. This is level two. This is level three. You want to get a little cerebral with your customer. You want them to come to a conclusion yourself. And by the way, I use the word customer and viewer interchangeably. Because maybe you're making entertainment or education. All of that uh, falls under the same category. Um, so, you know, get all those things out on the, on the table and, and, and highlight the ones that are level three, not too crazy, um, but just right. Yeah, yeah. So what's the role of ego in, in the creative process? We've all got one. It's probably a little more, you know. I always what think of the, them as our green monsters, you know. Yeah, I think, what's the role of ego, you know? Because we all have them. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, are you it's trying the reason to, we're good at what we're doing. But when you're doing collaboration, you have to keep it in check. Well, let's talk philosophically for a second okay. and say that, you know, you have two things. You have your Freudian egotistical Right. And then you have, and then you also have the Freudian ego that is I, um, you know, ego that is I, I think, you know, you're trying to put something of yourself into the project and, and that's commendable, you know, but it's not the project. It's not the product. It's not the company. It's yourself. It's your own perspective. It's your own worldview. I don't know that it has a role. I think it's just something that we always have to overcome if maybe that's what you mean, you know, um, is that we have to get to some sort of like, it's, it's not, it's not me, it's us, you know, and it's not only us, it's everyone who will be watching this. Right. And I, you know, especially when you're doing commercial work for, you know, your ego has to be in your client's success. You know, so you kind of have to put it there. I think you need it sometimes to be able to get through what you need to do. But man, you know, and I mean, to that to that extent, it's lovely to get awards, some of which are just granted to you, some of which you essentially pay for, you know, but you just purchase them. The yeah, <laughs> we have to No, I mean, you enter the contest, everyone wins, everyone gets a right. trophy, just like you said, Um but no, I mean, our award needs to be either the success of the idea, the success of the customer, the success of the customer's customer. If you want to get really selfless about it. I yeah. mean, I certainly don't want to sell refrigerators to Eskimos, for lack of a better term. You know, I don't want to sell lemons, um, you know, because I was part of that. I was part of that mistake that someone made, you know. So the success of the customer's customer is the ultimate goal. And those are the kind of people that you probably want to work for. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And 
and thankfully we've all gotten to a place where we can choose some of our customers, you know. I feel like that's one of the benefits of being a good creative. <laughs> so the solution to ego is empathy. Wow. We should put that on a coffee mug. That's good, <laughs> right? It's good. So let's talk about a little less commercial, but still commercial. Like I think, you know, when you called me and asked me to, to help with dismantling democracy, like something something deep inside me unlocked and said, yes, I'm dying to talk about this in a new way. Talk about the project a little bit. Well, first of all, you wanted to basically meet Yasha Monk. And that's you know, that true. Was, that was your personal selfish goal for being involved. It was a this. secondary selfish goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. And, and, you know, I think dismantling democracy is a good example of things that, you know, that you're, you're molding it along the way and that that's part of creativity. You know, because you got to start somewhere and you can't know everything until you start. I mean, that's just, that's just the way things work. Um, you know, so we started with a proposal and we got the job and we how are we going to do this job? And, you know, but give our audience um, a little bit of a, a little um, reference point. What is the project? Thank you for asking me to start at the beginning. Start at the beginning. <laughs> Ask for help. Democracy. <laughs> Smiling Democracy is a three-part PBS, uh, PBS series that, um, you know, was distributed through American Public Television uh, and has now landed comfortably in the, the smooth and, and uh, warm palms of Amazon. <laughs> so you can still watch it there. Um, and, and it is, I think, still available in some ways streaming on PBS. And uh, it was a collaboration between um, our film company, Make Films, um, the Center for Politics from the University of Virginia uh, and Virginia Public Media. Uh, and Center for Politics and Virginia Public Media have collaborated on films for many, many years of a political nature and basically once a year have released a film. And, you know, in many cases, if not, well, in many cases, it was a, a singular subject and, and a president or a politician um, or a time period. Um, you know, that, that, that is, was of a historical perspective. Uh, but this year they wanted to do something different. And by this year, I mean 2019. Um, <laughs> and that is uh, that they wanted to um, create a film that talked about some of the conditions that uh, democracy is facing around the world, but also in America, um, and sort of shine a light on the idea that, you know, I think uh, people are, uh, people rest very comfortably uh, and the idea that our democracy will endure forever. Um, where, whereas people like Center for Politics, who have their finger on the pulse of the world, see that democracies are being lost, um, not in the way that people imagine them being lost with very clear, loud uh, indicators, uh, militias and coups and men with guns, but rather a slower more uh, elusive process of uh, problems, trouble, and financial yet well issues. documented problems and well you know. documented, yeah, uh, leading to an election of somebody who no one would have ever thought of electing in the past, who perhaps turns out to be uh, an authoritarian uh, and has the ability to. Um, 
basically remove the democracy um, by a number of means. And so that was their, their goal, um, you know, was to make, make a, a documentary about the condition of democracy. And we need to say that, idea. that the Center for Politics is a very bipartisan group. I mean, they've got everybody working there. I was just, you know, we're talking about the next documentary already. So I was just on the phone and, and with them and, and hearing about how diverse their board is. Um, you know, right. there are people who would identify as, um, you know, on basically the extremely far sides uh, of either political party or ideology. Uh, there are moderates. So, you know, basically anything they do goes through a, um, uh, a bipartisan sort of, you know, process to get approved. Right. And I, it was fun to work on because it kind of forced me to think things through and it forced me to keep the main thing, the main thing. And that is, all right, do we want ABC or do we want democracy? And if we want democracy, these are the things that have to happen. There has to be voting. There has to be civil discourse. There has to be all these things that, that you know, 200 years ago, some very smart people thought up. And it's, it's lived this long. So let's keep that moving. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And basically part of the way into the project, you know, just to talk about how Kelly came on board, um, I think the narrative element of it grew and grew and grew. And then we knew we needed more glue to put the pieces together. And then we needed someone to be dedicated to writing that. Um, and so I called Kelly, who I'd worked for, worked with uh, a number of times on a number of projects. So fun. It was a good call to get. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, no, and, and, and what a fabulous job you did. And, and I think what an impactful Shucks. series. Oh, I, yeah, it was, it was so much fun. And so many smart people all kind of working together. And, you it's know. like goosebumps listening to these people. I got goosebumps talking to Jelaine Schmidt because I'd emailed her after we did our viewing. We did a viewing party and, and uh, somebody had mentioned She'd gotten some, some nasty email after the series. And talking to her, I'm just like, I could do that. I could be like that. I want to be like that. I want to be like her. <laughs> you know, yeah. She's so good. And it's nice to see there are so many good heroes, you know, in that realm. And I think we really captured a number good, of those people. Good heroes doing the hard right, not the easy wrong. Yeah. You know, and working towards civil discourse, participation, educated voters, you know. So I love that. And it was a really interesting creative take that um, I know at least from the people who, who I know watched it not knowing what they were getting into. They just watched it because I asked them to, you know. Um, it was fun to see their response. Like nobody's fighting with me too much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just creating some openness for dialogue that isn't, you know, what we're used to, which is honestly like a lot of media, not necessarily the news media, but certainly media in a very general sense, like um, including social media, 
really just illuminating these these far sides and these echo chambers and building these echo chambers uh, and feeding people, you know, really what it is that they need to to stay. Um, what's the word? Um, like probably more energized about it than they necessarily need to be more angry about it than they certainly need to be. Right. And I feel like, you know, even that kind of talking through some of some of those processes about democracy specifically very much lend toward the way we should be as collaborative creatives, I think in a, in a business and, you know, pulling this back to our theme, <laughs> but no, absolutely. So it's like, right. You have hyper-partisanship. You say, Oh, well, this is me. This is what I believe. Therefore it's the best idea. Right. Well, only the best idea is the best idea. Or worse yet, the only idea. <laughs> right. That, you know. The best idea would probably be a combination of ideas. I mean, to in the creative realm. Right. And, you know, it always it always gets better when you're working with people whose kind of ego is in that that place where where we just want to make the best possible thing. It's not about me. It's not about it's about that connection between product and and viewer or consumer or user or art enthusiast or whomever. Like I think that the audience is something to always consider in as we create outside of our passion projects or the things we just do because we like to doodle or whatever. You know? Yeah, I mean, some things you're going to make because it's like your piece of artwork. I think visual art or painting is a perfect example of that, right? You're not necessarily creating to please someone or to sell a piece of artwork, but to express something that's part of your innermost soul. Um, so there's that as well. And then, yes, it's very nice. It feels really good when someone sees that either your way or sees it in a completely new way because art, you know, is subjective and that's another beautiful thing about it. Um, but you know, a lot of times the things that you and I create are meant for a particular audience and that we have to keep them in mind. Yeah. Well, they're the, they're the thing, you know, so outside of, uh, you know, the things that we have to do, what do we like to do? What are your creative outlets that get you inspired and get you able to be a better producer, better director, better mm. blogger, whatever we're doing? Um, yeah, uh, I mean, gardening. I love gardening. I like, I like spending time in nature, be it water, woods, whatever. Uh, yeah, growing things and nurturing things, but also trying to take myself out of it and saying and asking it more like what do you need like that's honestly a hobby for me right um is becoming less um like projecting myself on the world and and taking time be it on a camping trip or whatever just sort of i don't actually go camping a lot anymore but i should um taking time outside um and just observing and listening so honestly my, you know and that very much relates to the way that I like to garden, um, which I, is consensual. I wish I, I, I love a good garden. I don't like weeding. I, I have, this is going to sound awful. I have terrible allergies. So there are things that have to happen in order for me to 
weed, but I know I need to, and, you know, I have to do it. It's it's work that I don't enjoy, but I do love a good garden. But, well, uh, yeah. You know, just keep in mind whether or not you call a plant a weed depends entirely on the type of relationship you want to have with that plant. <laughs> uh, by July... <laughs> I'm just telling you there are more plants and less weeds because I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> That's just how I roll. And, but, you know, in, 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 my, in my realm of uh, sort of uh, research and everything, I've come to find out that there are a lot of weeds that fill extremely important ecological niches um, and services as well. I just watched a video about a woman who made coffee out of dandelion roots mm-hmm. and then she made wine out of the top and then mm-hmm. essential oil. It's kind of astonishing. And the bees I, sort of need them too. So the bee, it's, it's early bee food, particularly in, in climates that uh, yeah. have a winter. <laughs> I so, haven't found, I actually just bought dandelions uh, seeds to plant in my yard. You could buy um, those. Cause yeah. I could have sent you some. Yeah. <laughs> please can you collect some and send them down that'd be great um just to see what happens you know i think it you know but i think uh southern or florida coastal florida you know has probably sprayed so many herbicides on its lawn that i mean i i can't imagine that they wouldn't have grown here naturally at one time or another but i haven't seen a dandelion here yet that's fascinating oh that we do the right thing please don't tell my neighbors that i planted them don't find send them my enough. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in any case, yeah, no, but you know what? I mean, and allergies are a very real thing. So like, I understand that too, you know, um, there are particularly some species of, you know, what they call noxious weeds that, you know, are bad for people with allergies. But at the same time, those are, if they're on your property, they're also surrounding your property. They're also in the valley. They're also yes. upwind from you, you know? So it's like, can you win? I don't know. But um, it, yeah, so, uh, you know, back to your question, gardening, love it. Probably my biggest hobby, love writing, love reading, um, especially nonfiction um, uh, and philosophical books and things like that. So I um, uh, like to read about agriculture a lot. What do people do? Could we do it again? Gosh, if I could find a book about agriculture from before 1920, I should definitely buy it, you know, and try to figure out what we can do again. Um, Cause right. boy, we have really, really industrialized um, right. and messed that up. And, and while it might make one or two people's lives a little easier, it definitely doesn't make them any richer. Um, in fact, I think it just sucks money from the farmer um, and uh, has caused a ton of problems with food as well. Yeah. Well, there will be more videos coming from the Forest Ranch Regenerative. I know that I know that. And uh, so let's talk about, we're going to wrap it up because this has been a fast hour. They're all fast hours, aren't they? Let's talk about the next generation of creatives in the video world. What's your advice to them? I mean, outside of our toolkit, which is awesome for all of us. Okay. Uh, let's see. I think I have two pieces of advice. One, if you're not already doing it, just start doing it. Don't wait for school. Don't wait for, you know, um, getting accepted to a certain school. 
training, working for a big company, unpaid internship, whatever it is, just do it. You have the tools. I mean, it's, it's the, the, it's the best and the worst thing about what has happened to our industry is that the tools are super accessible. Anyone can get an inexpensive camera. You may already have one on your phone. Um, you know, for us professionally, sometimes it's very difficult because it's like, Hey, I know, you know, the person that just, you know, that's going to do it for a fraction of our rate. However, we've been doing this for, in some cases, 25 years. And, you know, there's all kinds of wisdom we're going to bring to it. I'm not bashing those people necessarily. I still think they should do it. Um, (laughs) yeah, no, yeah, just do it. And a little bit of bashing, (laughs) Do do it, get in there, make things and key, make them with other people, collaborate, definitely get together with people, get all those ideas flowing together. Um, I'm trying to think of the second thing I was going to say. It was going to be really good. I'm sure it was. <laughs> um, you know, start working, definitely do it. Oh, just re- if you have an excellent idea, you know, make it. Don't don't wait for the perfect time or, um, you know, piece of equipment that you want to save up for or finance or whatever. Um, use what you have, start where you are and do what you can. Um, and just, and just make it, you know, it kind of, kind of coincides with that. Um, but I think the idea is that the, that ideas are the real, um, shining star, not equipment. That's true. Story is the thing. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's good advice for all of us. Alan, thank you so much for taking an hour out of your busy day and whatever make films is asking you to really be doing right now. I won't tell them. Sorry, Derek. (laughs) I would have just called you in the car, know. but, but now we get to record it and share it with people and hopefully you enjoy it. I know. Everybody wants to be your friend, Alan Clarence. Everybody. You too, (laughs) Kelly. Well, thanks. Let's do this again sometime. Sounds great. And I can't wait to see the water documentary. It sounds amazing. Awesome. All right. That's a wrap. All right, let's hear the theme song. The creative backstory wouldn't be possible without the support of JuxtaHub, Emmaus, Pennsylvania's arts and innovation center, where people from all walks of life gather, create, and grow. If you've been inspired by a creative person in your life, or have a story about your favorite creative processes, we'd love to hear about it. Contact us at thecreativebackstory at gmail.com. 